actress Katherine Heigl, a passionate animal advocate who has saved over 16,000 dogs, says she's been seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. She believes there's a link between canine health and diet. After extensive research, she developed Superfood Complete, a dog food pack with over 30 wholesome ingredients, including superfoods beneficial for your furry friend. Superfood Complete isn't just about deliciousness, though dogs love the taste. It's about supporting overall well-being. In addition to providing a healthy option for your pet, Badlands Ranch, the maker of Superfood Complete, also supports the Jason DeBus Heigl Foundation, which helps rescue countless dogs and find them loving homes. Dogs across America are trying this food and loving it. Go to BadlandsRanch.com MC901 and order right now to get up to 50% off your regular priced order with a 90-day money-back guarantee. If you want your dog to experience all these incredible things, go to BadlandsRanch.com MC901 today. In this episode, I have some cases that couldn't be further apart from each other. I can think back over almost any day I'm working at dispatch and the calls like this could easily come back to back. I might get a call about a potential kidnapping and then the very next call is something to do with having police stand by while a couple exchange children just so there won't be any problems that might arise out of just one parent handing off their children to another. Other times, we might have multiple victims shooting, and then the next time the phone rings, we get a bouncer to bar who's trying to throw out some tourist who thought that eighth cocktail was a good idea, even though they can't stand anymore and don't know where they're staying at. So without getting into further details, let's just say that these are very far removed from each other in almost every way possible. Welcome back to another episode of Music City 911. A very little bit about these calls that I'm going to be playing. At least the first ones. I get my calls from a variety of different sources. Sometimes straight from the agency themselves. Others, I'll have them after they've already been publicly released. And a couple, as you've heard in the past, were kind of poor audio that was recorded while the call was being played inside a courtroom. These I'm about to play, I believe they came from something similar, but I can't be certain about it. There's some background noise that I've tried to clean up a little bit, but it's still audible. It sounds like the recordings were not straight from a computer, but recorded from an outside source being probably played through a speaker, so you hear some of that background noise. Even with that, though, the calls themselves, they're all actually not horrible as to the quality of the voices, so it won't be too hard to understand what's going on. With that being said, here's the first call. 911, do you 
you mean police, fire, medical? Yes. Yeah. Uh, we need a car here at 1231 Temple Drive, okay. Winter Park, Florida. There's a woman that's a danger to herself and to others right Not now. Not oh, a gentleman that's a danger to Pardon? Pardon me? The address. 1231 Temple Drive, Winter Park, Florida. No. Okay, stay on the line. I'm going to have to transcribe over to Winter Park. Let me talk first when they answer, okay? You better go in the room. Please dance. Guy one one, do you need police, fire, or medical? Let's just send off the transfer for police at 1231 Temple Drive. Yeah. Please. Don't hear me. Will you stop? Oh, all right. I'll call, I will call you back. I will call you back in five minutes. I'll call you back in five minutes. Uh, what is going on there? Hello? Yeah, I'm still there. He um he didn't give me a lot of information. He just said that there was a woman who was a danger to her to herself. Okay. And that was it. Yeah, that's all. And he called on a 911 only phone, so. Okay. And I just want to confirm, he told you 1231 Temple Drive? Yes. All right. Thank you so much, Seminole. Not problem. Right, bye-bye. A lot of agencies have a policy in place that in any domestic situation or potential domestic situation if the phone call hangs up you don't call it back this is in place for a number of reasons but the main one is so if the other party who isn't making the call doesn't know that the caller is talking to the police they won't find out by receiving a return phone call which could escalate things i believe this is what would have happened here aside from one issue that i'll discuss here in a second this is why i think that there was no call back after the call was disconnected. You could tell that the female in the situation knew he was calling police. But even with this, policy would dictate not calling back. I agree with the policies like this. In a domestic situation that is or could potentially become violence, very small things can jump things up to another level. You don't want that to happen at all the primary goal from any dispatcher is to try and keep everyone as safe as possible it's a lot like the first line in the hippocratic oath which is a set of ethics taken by medical professionals which states first do no harm so you don't want to complicate things even further all this doesn't really matter though the caller couldn't be called back the dispatcher could be heard telling the other one that he called from a 911 number. What that means is it's a disconnected cell phone. What we normally see when someone calls 911 from a cell phone is the phone number they're calling from along with some sort of location information. If someone dials from a disconnected phone, which you can do, the number that shows up starts with a 911 area code and is then followed up by a random set of numbers that does not correspond with the caller's original phone number at all. If you try to call that number back, you won't reach them. It'll just dial straight back into 911. So his was a situation like that. Even if their policy allowed, the dispatcher couldn't have called back to get any further info. Back to the call, he says that he wanted to report someone who was a danger to herself and others. 
the female in the back could be heard saying that he's the one who was a danger to others. There was some talk going back and forth between the two parties, but it was kind of hard to understand. You can hear the man asking the woman to go back into her room several times. It sounded like he was trying to de-escalate the situation by asking her to remove herself to a different room on top of calling the police to ask for help. He later said a few times that he would call back in five minutes. After he hung up, the two dispatchers talked for a few seconds about what he said. It was enough for police to respond and try to see what was happening. Police did respond to the address that was given and were met with a caller who stated the female had been drinking and that there was a verbal argument and also that the female involved was already asleep. As I said in previous episodes in a roundabout way related to this, when police get to the scene, the initial caller for something like this can change their story very quickly. Being they had very little to go on past what the caller was saying when they got there, I believe the police just went on the caller's word and left the scene without making any sort of arrest. Without getting too in-depth with the details past that, I'll just say that this call was received on February 4th of 2018. The next call we'll listen to, it came in much later. Right. 
If you're new to the show and haven't worked your way back through the hundreds of calls I've played, or if you're just new to listening to 911 calls in general, you might not have picked up some of the huge variations of what was said there. I'm hoping, though, that just about anyone could have caught them. This female caller 
who was the same female as in the first call, she states that her husband is dead. Deceased is her exact wording. When asked what happened, she says she thinks he had a heart attack and that he was stiff. She later states that he stabbed himself after some sort of a altercation between the two of them. She doesn't go into specifics, but does say that they were fighting the night before, too. Later, when asked if she thought the death was a result of the heart attack or the stab wound, which she says was a shoulder wound, she replies that she believes that it's a heart attack that was brought on by the stabbing. I'm not sure how she would go on to that conclusion, though. Also, she stated all this happened last night, not something that had just occurred. So let's get into some of the details of what happened here. The initial mail caller, his name is Michael Redlick. He once was an MBA executive before moving to the University of Central Florida for a position there. The female caller, his wife, her name is Danielle Redlick. She was not Michael's first wife. The wife previous to her, well, that's where it gets a bit odd. It was Danielle's mother. She was Michael's stepdaughter. Her mother died of cancer just a few months after they had gotten married. So from the very start of this, it's a bit weird. Leading up to what happened with the 911 calls, the two didn't have the greatest of relationships. There were instances before all this went down. From all indications, it seems like Danielle is a full-on mean drunk. I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but one of the witnesses in the case, a friend of Danielle's, was interviewed by police. To preempt this, the witness did not know what had happened to Michael. At most, she may have heard through friends that he had passed away due to a heart attack. That was all that was initially released to anyone. During some questions, the witness stated that Danielle was out with her one night and had some drinks. After around drink number five, she got a very wild look and for no reason started punching the witness. In 2016, police were out on patrol and just found her out on the street being belligerent and violent towards anyone else there in Winter Park. They completed what's called a Marchman Act on her, which would indicate some sort of substance abuse. Later that year, police were called because of an argument she had with Michael. During talking with police, she refused to write a statement, got upset, and then just left the building. Fast forward to 2018, and Danielle was arrested for battery on an officer and firefighter, resisting an officer with violence and disorderly intoxication when her and Michael were in another altercation. She was being treated by the fire department for some unknown injuries, but while that was happening, she started saying what was considered vulgar comments to the paramedic helping her. She then tried to push and then punch the paramedic. Officers that were there tried to restrain her, and then she tried to bite one of them. The initial 911 call that we heard came in nine days after that incident occurred. 
jumped to the second nine one one call that came in the next year, 2019, on January 12th. The call was placed at 928 in the morning. We know what she said happened there on the 911 call. But, for me anyway, red flags were flying really high in my head. I mean, a team of flag holders on top of the Empire State Building waving them like they're trying to take off flying. That type flying high. When police got to the scene, they found a very gruesome-looking crime scene, but one that you would not really think. I'll get into that in a second. Danielle continued with the same story initially when police got there. She told both police and detectives that she was eating a McDonald's hamburger in the kitchen, and without giving very much reason as to why, she stated that Michael grabbed the burger, took a bite of it, and then spit it in her face. A fight broke out after that, and she reached into her drawer for a knife to try to defend herself. Michael then grabbed the knife from her and started making stabbing-type motions towards himself. At that point, Danielle said that she ran to the bathroom and said she was at the bathroom door when Michael showed up and started yelling that he was going to send her to jail and kept saying, Sam Katie, which is a reference to the movie Cape Fear, but then went quiet. Danielle also told police and detectives that after waiting a while, she went out to check on him and found a blood trail leading from the bathroom, which was in the master bedroom, out to the living room where he was lying down. She stated that she tried to find the phone to call for help, but couldn't find it and after figuring out that he wasn't breathing, tried to perform CPR on him using chest compressions and mouth-to-mouth for a long time, and then became exhausted. At one point, she stated that Michael had vomited during CPR. She said she went to sleep after that and woke up the next morning to find the same scene, and then she cut her own wrist before calling 911. That was her story detectives found a ton of holes in her story and even a few funkier red flags as well. Police walked in and found a pile of blood-soaked towels. There were also circular blood stains like someone had tried to clean up the mess. There was also a bloody mop and a mop bucket filled with a pink liquid nearby. I should also note that Michael's shirt, also bloody with a tear in it, that was consistent with where the wound was, it was at the bottom of the bloody towels, indicating that it was taken off after the stabbing. He was stabbed in the shoulder, just like she said. Also, there was no vomit to be found anywhere on him. Detectives also found a bloody container in the trash for the McDonald's she said she was eating. There was no remnants of a burger or fries, which was indicated by the receipt, what was bought so that must have been fully eaten and then discarded after the stabbing some of the red flags i was talking about that the detectives figured out during the autopsy they found bruising on michael's arm that appeared to be defensive there was also a wound to his forearm that looked like it came from a fingernail he had a bruise on the inside of his lip and there was also no bruising 
on his chest that would have indicated that he had CPR performed on him. Also, just to put a nail on the head, there was no signs of a heart attack. They also found what appeared to be egg whites on his pants. Past that, they found broken eggs in the driveway in front of the house and also more broken eggs inside of his car, which was pretty weird to begin with. In the 911 call from Danielle, the dispatcher asked if they had been drinking. She said that he had, but she hadn't been drinking. She was found, after all this, to still have alcohol in her system 13 hours after the death had taken place. Several empty wine bottles were found close by as well. In all likelihood, if she still had booze in her system that long after all this went down, she was probably very drunk when all this happened. Which also plays into the whole belligerent past that she's had when she has been drunk. She initially stated that the reason she didn't call the night before is that she couldn't find her phone. That also was found out to be a lie. Records showed that she had tried to dial 911-911. Not sure if she hung up immediately before calling or if 911 hit twice like that right together from a cell phone just wouldn't let her dial through. I'm not really sure about that part. Also past that on her phone, detectives figured out that she had deleted all text messages between her and her husband. The fact that she tried to clean up the scene was another huge red flag. One of the bigger red flags, though, and doesn't immediately contradict her story, but it does sort of go against it, she had an online dating profile. That in and of itself is not some sort of a big piece of evidence, but sometime after the killing, she got on and started checking her dating messages. While her husband's lying there dead just feet away from her, she was messing around on a dating app that she'd been a member of. This is an ongoing case, and by that I mean the trial just started a few days ago. It's still at trial. You can keep up with it. Since this has been going on, Danielle changed her story around. Again. Now she's saying that she actually did stab him, but it was in self-defense. That argument that they were having that night, she says it got physical, and she was just trying to defend herself. It is entirely possible that that's what happened. But likely, that just doesn't seem so to me. As I said, this whole thing is still ongoing, and it's turning out to be kind of a big trial. So, if y'all wanted to look this up again, her name is Danielle Redlick. And you can Google and find all sorts of information about what's going on. Daily updates from multiple sources and videos from the trial itself. And as I said, I've got a couple different calls. The first case there, obviously that was involving a potential murder. This next one, extremely far removed. And this is kind of a bonus little thing here. Not related at all to it. But, unfortunately, this is a type of call that we get pretty frequently, as I've said in episodes before, and I don't see him stopping anytime soon. Get prepared for this one. 
I'll say that they stayed on the phone with this person for about 10 minutes. So it's going to be a little bit of a longer call and it's just nonstop train wreck from start to finish. Yes, I'm at McDonald's. I'm five months pregnant. These people don't know how to run a McDonald's. I'm a to the McDonald's. Right? Come on. No. Come on. I want my money. They trying to they trying to cheat me out my money. I want my money. I'm not going nowhere. The police gonna have to get here. Hunter, I have it, honey. Thank you, man. Come on, I'm gonna take my money. We gonna go. Girl, this ain't your song. Shut the up. No, no. They said white people don't know how to run no business. And that's as simple as that. The f I don't give a f about no f my f***ing police. The f***. Talking about she can't serve me. I gotta get my f***ing on my f***ing back. Or my f***ing cheese broke my f***ing money. That's my f***ing one. What? She paid. She paid for her too. What's the problem? Sister, I'll be so turning it on. Sister, I'll be so turning it on. What? No. No. What's up? No. 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 Girl, I've been on the phone with the police. Well, you told me to search me. Exactly. Do my research because I know y'all get wrong. Why not? No.
need cameras being pulled up. What's your name, Sarah? What's your name? They're trying to say I put my hands. I'm going to show y'all. I'm going to show y'all. I ain't put my hands on nobody. Oh, 
she better have not, because I would have. Oh, I knew that. 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 I knew So yet another dispute at a fast food restaurant. This one was one of the worst ones I've heard. Maybe not the worst, but definitely on up there. There is a small amount of video that goes along with this one that shows the caller going behind the counter, knocking things off the shelves and the counter itself, and throwing things at employees. After relatives convinced her to leave on her way out, she bent over and started twerking towards the employees. The local sheriff's department showed up and took her into custody, charging her with criminal mischief, burglary with assault, which was brought on by her going into an unauthorized area, and by that, I mean behind the store's counter, as well as, and I love this one, misuse of 911. Local sheriff good old Grady Judd, which I'm sure you've seen in videos, he made a comment about this suspect that is more than fitting and one that I've said quite a few times myself. 
She was a few fries short of a Happy Meal. Before I go today, I want to give a shout out to a good friend of mine, Scott Johnson, who has a podcast that I've talked about before in the past. Me and Scott chat about podcasting related stuff almost daily, as well as just about anything else too. One thing I really love about this whole podcasting community, I've met some outstanding people that are willing to help out and chat in a number of ways. He's no different than that, and his show was a good reflection of how good of a person he is. His show was really good. The name of his podcast is What Was That Like? And in each episode, he interviews someone who has been in a very unique situation. In his last episode, he interviews someone who was involved in a rollover in a car crash, ejected from her car, and was then called on a power line. Like I said, his interviews are with people who have gone through some extraordinary situations. I highly suggest anyone to check that out. Again, his show is called, What Was That Like? And also, I want to do my general housekeeping here by letting you all know to follow me on social media, especially the Music City 901 podcast discussion group on Facebook. Know that you can get ad-free episodes and now bonus content on Patreon. And also, that if you haven't done so already, feel free to drop a good review on my show on whatever platform you're listening on. But that'll do it for this episode. And until next time, for Music City 911, I'm Brandon, and y'all have a good one.